Well, good morning and welcome. It's good to see all of you here after this wild weather week. Um, and if you're a visitor today, we're especially glad you're here and that you've chosen to worship with us. Our flowers this morning have been placed by Mary Hancock in loving memory of Mary Louise Parkell. A total of $1,030 was raised for the Rubens, our missionaries, through the Christmas card mailbox, and we thank you all who participated. The missions committee will be recommending three new missionary couples to be voted on at the annual business meeting. Please see the announcement in the bulletin for details regarding these couples. Ladies, you are all invited to a baby sprinkling for Dana Heckley this Friday, the 19th at 6 p.m. Please bring a sweet or savory appetizer. And we would like to sprinkle Dana with diapers, wipes, and gift cards. If you plan to attend, um, you need to see Cindy Sherman, Jen Finney, or Barb Peterson today and let them know. Today is the deadline for your annual reports to be turned into Dottie. So if you are responsible for an annual report, please email it to Dottie today. And her email address is listed in the bulletin. Next Sunday is Pastor Appreciation Day. We will have a soup and salad luncheon immediately following Sunday school, and today is the last day to sign up for that luncheon. And please indicate on the sign-up sheet what sandwiches you are planning to bring. There will be a basket in the front of the auditorium where you may place cards or gifts of thanks. And mark your calendars for the annual business meeting on Wednesday, January 24th. All members are encouraged to attend. And finally, the youth group has a need for several teens to be sponsored for snow camp. If you're interested in helping with this, or if you have questions, please speak to Eric, Albert, or Mimi Irizarry. Please read your bulletin for details of the regular weekly meetings. Thank you. Did you? <laughs> Shocking. As she mentioned, uh, there will be a business meeting uh, coming up on January 24th. So in lieu of that, there's two things I need to mention. One is in your bulletin, there's a list of all those that are up for election this year, so please review that. So that has to be out in public two weeks prior. That is in your bulletin. Secondly, the deacons have a motion to make because of all the requirements for our Constitution are not quite made yet in order to uh, come to a vote yet to see whether uh, Pastor Jay or whoever that may be for our senior pastor. So this motion is worth to, to delay that. Uh, motion to be discussed and decided at the annual business meeting to be held on January 24th at 7 p.m. To have Pastor Jason Heckley continue to serve as the interim pastor of Quinton Baptist Church until our next business meeting, currently scheduled for May 15th, 2024. <laughs> Show my age there. <laughs> so that's all I have, and we'll continue on. Let's open in a word of prayer. Our Father, we do thank you that we could come here this morning. It's so good to be in your house where we can encourage and fellowship and, and strengthen each other, Father. We pray that as we come that we would push aside all of our distractions, Father, and focus on you this morning. We ask your blessing upon this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. How wonderful it is to worship with the family of God. In Psalm 124, verse 8 reads, our help is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's stand and exalt the name of the Lord. Please stand.
Beautiful singing. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we do praise you that you are a wonderful, merciful Savior, that you're the one that we adore, the one that we love. Lord, I pray that that would be something that would resonate within each one of our hearts this morning, Lord, that we would look to you, that we would desire you, that we'd want to grow closer to you this morning. Lord, we praise you that you are the infinite God, that you are the one far above everything that we can go through in life. Lord, that when we feel like life's out of control, that you are in control. And Lord, I do just bring forward these requests to you, Lord, knowing that you are the God who is in control. Lord, we do just pray for Betty as she just uh, continues with these uh, just different sicknesses she's had, Lord, and we pray for her as she recovers. Pray that you would just bring healing to her this morning. Lord, we pray for Sherman Ann Miller. Lord, we pray that you would just be with them this morning. And I know uh, they just have a lot going on going into the next month, Lord. We do just pray that you'd prepare them now, Lord, for the treatment that's ahead of them. And Lord, we do just pray uh, for Sherm, Lord, that the treatment would be successful. Uh, that you would just uh, uh, just bring success to it, that you would be with the doctors as they take care of him, and Lord, we pray that you is ultimately would be the great physician in that situation. Lord, we do just pray for everyone this uh, time of year who's affected with cold and sickness. It seems like everything is going around right now, Lord, and different people are getting sick here and there. Lord, we pray for anyone who is sick this morning that you would bring healing to them, that you would uh, just restore them. And Lord, we do pray for uh, Lord, that it wouldn't spread, Lord, for anyone who's healthy, that you would just continue it, uh, continue uh, to keep them safe, Lord, that you would just uh, help people as they uh, just uh, fight the different battles that we're fighting with the sickness, Lord, that you would just keep people safe and healthy. Lord, we do just pray uh, for our church this year, Lord. We have a lot of things happening this year, a lot of exciting things happen. We pray for wisdom and guidance for our leaders. We pray for this upcoming business meeting. Lord, we do just pray for uh, all the different activities that we're doing this year, Lord, and even activities that we're doing this month with uh, Pastor Appreciation next week. Lord, we do just pray that it all comes together and that our, through it all, our church is able to honor and glorify you. Lord, we do just pray for our missionary of the month, Lord, Caitlin. And Lord, we do just pray that you'd bless her with all of her work in translating and in teaching and uh, ultimately in sharing you with uh, the people there. And Lord, we do just pray that you would just give her uh, prosperity, Lord, that you would just be with her and that you'd bless her ministry. And Lord, we do just pray all of these things in your name. Amen. As it was mentioned earlier during the announcement, uh, in, uh, at the next annual meeting in a couple weeks, we're going to be looking on uh, taking on a few new missionaries. They're b- being put forward by the missions committee. Uh, those new missionaries that we're looking to put forward uh, one of them is T.C. and Kelly Bars, who were here back in October. If you guys can remember back into October, uh, they actually came and had an opportunity to share with us. Another one of the families that, uh, that they're going to be presenting is Jeff and Phoebe Welch. And there's ba- information on them in this little uh, trifold that's back on the welcome desk. We'd encourage you guys to take that and look it over before uh, the annual meeting so that you can kind of get uh, perspective on who they are and what their ministry is uh, as they serve there in Germany. And then the, the third missionary that we're going to be presenting is Josiah and Vivian Overly, who are with Word of Life. Um, 
in Taiwan. Uh, so uh, we're going to be putting on a video right now about them just to kind of give you guys a brief synopsis of what they do. Uh, just as a way of warning, uh, the, the, the video begins in Taiwanese. Uh, that's just the way it works. On the bottom, there's uh, the printed English. It's kind of hard to see, so I apologize if you're not able to see it. Uh, but after about 30 to 45 seconds, it does switch over to English, um, and you will be able to hear the rest of it at that point in time. So this is a little video about uh, Josiah and his wife Vivian Overly.当我看到我的家人伏在地上跪拜我最近去世的奶奶时，我泪流满面。他们对着奶奶的遗照哭泣，告诉她她已成为了神，他们在这里悼念和确保她光荣地进入下一个生命。在我奶奶称之为家的小
Would you partner with us in prayer and financially as we tell the Taiwanese the love Christ has for them? Let's continue to worship in song, and as we sing, children in first through third are dismissed for youth church. Please stand.
please be seated. Today's scripture reading will be found in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Again, that's going to be found in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Beginning of verse 1. And the seventh month, on the twentieth first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnants of the people, and say, Who is left among you? You who saw this house in its former glory, how do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the seas and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that all the treasures of the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. I want to start by addressing the number one question that may be on all of your minds as we started uh, this series last week. Is it pronounced Haggai or Haggai? The answer is, it could be pronounced either way. I pronounce it Haggai, that's just how I do it, but uh, it's very okay to pronounce it either way. I'm perfectly fine with either one of those. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, as we come before your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would lift us up, Lord, that you would encourage us, and that, Lord, we would grow closer to you, we'd grow to know more about you this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Years ago, uh, Dana and I had decided that we were going to start up a Bible study in our house. So we invited a bunch of people to it. The night of the Bible study came. We cleaned the entire house. I had a Bible lesson prepared. Dana made a special dessert just for uh, the Bible study. And the time for the Bible study came, and nobody showed up. But, you know, we, you know, we kind of doubled down. We said, okay, well, we're having another Bible study in a couple of weeks. We'll do the same thing. So that's what we did. We cleaned the house. We, uh, Dana made another special dessert. I had another lesson prepared. And no one showed up again. Now, over time, people did start showing up. And it did actually grow into a thriving Bible study. But those first couple weeks, they were hard. They were disappointing. They were discouraging. Have you ever been in a position 
where you're just discouraged, where you're just disappointed in what's going on around you. Disappointment comes from unfulfilled expectations. You know, you kind of have this expectation of what's going to happen, and it doesn't happen. Kind of like the past month for the Eagles, big disappointment. But how often do we get disappointed and discouraged when we're serving the Lord? You know, you spend all your time in prayer on this one topic and it doesn't come about the way you prayed for it. Or maybe you shared Christ with somebody only for them to reject it and to walk away. Or maybe you tried to teach and train up someone, you discipled someone, you poured so much time and effort into this one person and they walked away from God and they weren't interested anymore. Or maybe you were serving the Lord and you faced criticism or attacks from other people who were complaining about you. And, you know, when you looked at things yourself, it, it didn't come out the way you wanted it to come out. And you were just disappointed and let down. Disappointment and discouragement is a very real thing. It's a very hard thing for all of us. But that's what we're going to talk about this morning is what does God have to say in the midst of our discouragement and disappointment? We're continuing our series in Haggai. We started this last week. It's called Build God's Church. We talked about the fact that the Israelites from the surrounding areas had this chance to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. The temple was destroyed by Babylon. And then about 60 years later, they come back and get this opportunity to start rebuilding the temple. And what do they do? They start working and then they stop. And they remain stopped for about 60 years until Haggai steps back onto the scene. And in Haggai chapter 1, he encourages people. He says, guys, stop paying attention to your own lives and start focusing on God's house and building God's house. And then at the end of Haggai chapter 1, we get this great response where the people say, that's right, we need to build God's house. And they start building the way that they were supposed to. They start serving the Lord. And then we get to chapter 2. In chapter 2, Haggai comes back to them, and it's less than a month after they started rebuilding God's house. And in that less than a month time, the excitement about rebuilding God's house turned into discouragement and disappointment. And Haggai has to come back to them and give them another message to lift them up and encourage them. So let's see, first of all, what the discouragement was, and then we'll get into how God responds to it. Let's start by talking about the discouragement and serving the Lord, Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadat, the high priest, and to all the remnants of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So God sends Haggai to come back and speak to the people. And Haggai comes in and just admits a reality to the people. He says, how many of you guys were here that saw the previous temple? Now, the previous temple was destroyed about 60 years prior. So probably anyone about 70 years or older would have remembered the old temple. So Haggai says, how many of you guys remember what the old temple looked like? Do you see this new temple? What do you think about it? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? You see, the previous temple was built by King Solomon back when he was reigning in Israel, and it was probably the time that Israel was the wealthiest they had ever been in their entire history. 
Solomon had money flowing in, and he poured that money into the temple that Solomon had built. He used only the best wood. He ordered specialty wood straight from Lebanon, and he brought it in. He used it to build the house. And this picture here is a picture of Solomon's version of the house. And if you notice, when you look on the inside, it is covered in gold. In fact, everything on the inside of the house was covered in gold. That's how much money was sunk into Solomon's version of the house. That's why when Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem, what did they do? They went and ransacked this house because it had a ton of money. It was covered in gold. There was uh, beautiful articles all around the house, and that's why it was destroyed. And now, all these years later, these people are coming back to build it, and they're building the temple on a budget. They, you know, they're not sparing any expense the way that Solomon did. They're building the house, but they don't have the money to do all the things that Solomon did. And they're looking at this new house as they're starting to build it, and they're starting to say, this is nothing compared to the old house. You see, they started creating this comparison between the new house that they were building and the old house that Solomon had built. It goes as far as saying there's a story in Ezekiel as they start to rebuild the house in Ezekiel chapter 3, starting in verse 11. We have this story. This is as the foundations of the house get laid. It says, And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. And all the people shouted with a great shout when uh, when they praised the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid. But... Many of the priests and the Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundations of this house being laid. Though many shouted with shouts of joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of people weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. So we get this story as the foundation of the house gets laid that there's this one group of people who's just shouting for joy because they're so happy to see the temple get rebuilt. And then you have this other group of people, the ones who saw the old house, and what do they do? They weep. They weep so loudly that you can't tell the difference between who's shouting for joy and who is weeping. Now, I actually was teaching on this passage uh, a while back to a group of uh, kids, about 60 or so kids, and I, I did something special for them. I divided the room in half, and I told half the room to shout for joy as loud as they could, and I told the other half to cry out in weeping as loud as they could. And I'll tell you, it was a deafening sound between all of it. <laughs> the kids really got into it, and they made this huge sound, but I could not tell the difference between who was shouting and who was weeping. And that's what it came down to. That's how discouraged the people were. They were weeping so loudly that you couldn't tell the difference between those who were happy and those who were sad. And you know, we often face discouragement when we serve the Lord. Sometimes that discouragement comes from people around us through words that are said, through uh, different things like that. But a lot of time, that discouragement comes from within, that we're disappointed in how things worked out, that we're discouraged in how things work out. Oftentimes, like the Israelites, it comes from comparisons. We create comparisons between ourselves and those around us. We, you know, look at the person next to us who say, their faith is so much better than my faith. If I could only be more like them. And we start creating this comparison, and we're disappointed in ourselves. Or maybe it's in a ministry that we serve, and we, serve, we say, that other ministry is doing so much better than my ministry. 
Or maybe we do that with churches. We say that other church down the road is doing so much better than our church. We start creating these comparisons. Or maybe, like the Israelites, we do it with the past. We say, oh, I remember the good old days. I remember how things used to be. It used to be so much better than it is today. We used to have so much more than we do today. And we create these comparisons. And these comparisons aren't fair. And they're not fair for a very specific reason. And here's the reason they're not fair. Because God has put you in the position you are right now to serve him. And he's not concerned with the past. And he's not concerned with what's happening over there. He's concerned with where you are. And if you're serving him. And that's why these comparisons aren't fair. But they're often the reality, right? We often do that. We create these comparisons with those around us. And they discourage us. And they disappoint us. And that's where the Israelites were today. And that's what God speaks into. And he gives them a very simple message. The message is be strong. He tells them that three times in this next verse we're going to read in just a second. He tells them three times to be strong. He speaks to the leaders. He tells the leaders to be strong. Because in the midst of discouragement, leaders need to be strong. And then he tells the people to be strong. Because in the midst of discouragement, we all need to stand together. We need to be strong. Then we're told to keep serving. How can we keep serving? How can we keep working in the midst of our disappointment? God's going to give us three reasons here this morning on how we can keep serving in the midst of disappointment. The first one is that God is with us. Let's read Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So God tells them to be strong. And the very first reason he says, be strong, for I am with you. If you remember, we talked about the fact that he said he was with them last week. In chapter 1, verse 13, God tells them he is with them. God brings that back up right now in the midst of their discouragement, in the midst of their hard times, to tell them that he is with them. And you know, God constantly brings that up. When you go through the entire Bible, when people are called to do difficult things, when people are called to step up in serving the Lord, God constantly reminds them that he is with them. In Genesis chapter 26, when God's speaking to Isaac, he tells them that he is with him. When God calls Moses with the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, God says, I will be with you. When he calls Joshua in Joshua 1.9, he says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the life of King David, in the Psalms, David says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. In Isaiah chapter 43, when the nation of Israel is about to go into exile, Isaiah encourages them and he says to them, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Speaking for God, God says, I will be with you. Here, as they rebuild the temple in Haggai, God tells them he is with them. When you get to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, right after the Great Commission, when Jesus tells his disciples, go make disciples of all the people, he ends that by saying, but lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is constantly, constantly, constantly promising to be with us. That's how God states things. That's how God encourages people. 
when you go through the hard times, when you go through difficult things, when you're hurting and broken, God says, I am with you. So why is that supposed to be an encouragement to us? What, why does that matter in the midst of our discouragement? When we're trying to serve the Lord and we're disappointed and we're discouraged, why does it matter that God is with us? I'll give you two quick reasons this morning. The first one is that we are not reliant on our own strength. Now, the world around us constantly says, you've got to do things on your own strength. You've got to pick yourself up. Nobody else is going to take care of you besides you. You've got to do what you have to do, do what's best for you. And that's a great mindset, this idea of uh, I can do things, I'm good enough. That's a great mindset until we fail. Until we come face to face with the reality that we're not good enough. And that will happen. At some point when I was younger, I had this mindset of like, oh, I'm just good enough. I'm just going to make it all the way. I was a very confident person as a kid. But I came to a reality that I'm not good enough by myself. And we're all going to come to that reality one day. And that can be difficult when we realize that we're not good enough. But God says, listen, I am with you, and I am good enough. How does God introduce himself here? He says, I am with you. It says, declares the Lord of hosts. That phrase, the Lord of hosts, is how God likes to refer to himself, specifically in the book of Haggai. In the two chapters of Haggai, God says the Lord of hosts 14 times. God wants to get this point across. The phrase Lord of hosts means he's the God who is over the armies. We have this song that we sing today, the God of angel armies. Whom shall I fear? The God of angel armies is always by my side. We have the God who reigns over armies. He says, I am with you. So don't think you have to do it yourself. Don't think you have to fight your own battles. I'm with you. And there's a second reason why it's encouraging that God is with us, and that's the fact that we don't have to please other people. Our primary goal of serving is to please the Lord. I said earlier that one of the reasons we can get discouraged is we create these comparisons. Sometimes other people put those comparisons on us. As if anyone was a kid with siblings, you probably know what this is like when someone says, why can't you be more like your brother or sister? Why can't you get good grades like they did? Or why can't you do uh, as good in sports as they are? And we have these comparisons and we start thinking, oh, I need to please those around me. I've got to do well so that those around me get impressed. And God says, don't worry about any of that. Your job is to serve me. There's a book. Um, it's written by Kent Hughes and his wife, Barbara Hughes. It's called Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. It's a book that I read when I was in college, and it's really had an impact on me. And his basic idea behind the entire book is that too often we define success by what other people tell us our success. Maybe those are numbers. Uh, maybe those are uh, in increase in attendance. Maybe those are what people say about us. And Ken says, no, that's, none of that is how the Bible defines success. The Bible defines success in how we are with the Lord and who we are as people. He defines success as faithfulness, service to other people, love for other people, faith in the Lord, prayer, holiness, and having the right attitude. That those things define what success is. And none of those things are things that other people get to account for. Those things are between us and the Lord. 
See, God is concerned less with the result and more with our heart. And that's just the truth of the matter. So as we serve Him, we are not looking to serve those around us. We are looking to serve an audience of one. We're looking to serve the Lord. He is the one who is with us. So that's God's first encouragement to us, is that in the midst of everything that we go through, in the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of our disappointment, God says, I am with you. And then He gives us a second one. It's that God is in control. Let's read starting at verse 6. It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. God says to the people, listen, I know that life is crazy right now. I know you're discouraged. I know you're disappointed, but listen, I'm in control of what's going to happen next. God says, I'm going to shake the nations. And I'm going to bring treasures into this house. Now, I do just want to take a moment on an aside and comment on this phrase uh, in verse 7. It says, the treasures of all nations. Uh, There's been a little bit of debate about exactly what that phrase means, whether that means like, money or wealth from other nations, or some people say that that is a phrase that directly refers to Jesus Christ. In fact, in some translations, it'll say desire of nations, and it'll capitalize it as, as if it's a name referring to Jesus. Um, I personally, on my study, I believe that it has to do with actual wealth and treasures and gold and silver from other nations that's going to flow into the house. Um, if you have any questions on that, I would love to talk to you after about that. But I do believe that this time will come when Jesus does come in the future millennial reign of Christ when he comes to the temple and he reigns in the temple that the wealth of nations will come in. And what God's saying with all of this is in the midst of all that, he's saying, listen, I've got control of it all. I'm in control of what's going to happen. I'm in control of the nations. I'm in control of the wealth that comes in. He takes time to remind the Israelites in the middle of all that, he says, who does the gold and the silver belong to? belongs to me. God says to them, listen, I know you're disappointed that the house doesn't have as much gold as Solomon's house did, but listen, the gold is mine anyway. I own it. I own it all. I'm the creator of the universe. I own all things. I'm in control of what's going on in the world around us. Now think about what that would have meant to the Israelites here in this day. They just watched 60 years prior or so their temple get ransacked by an enemy nation, leading them into exile. And the only reason that they were allowed to come back here is because that nation got taken over by another nation, and that other nation, Persia, was a a little bit more lenient and let them come back. But they were still under Persia. And if at any point in time Persia decided they didn't want the Israelites rebuilding the house, they could have come in and wiped them out without a second thought. These Israelites had no control over what was happening around them. Politically, they had absolutely no power or control. And God says, listen, I am in control. I'm the one who shakes the nations. I'm the one who controls kings and powers and political forces in the world. I'm in control of it all. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. I own it. I am in control. 
And you know, this matters to us today as well. When we're discouraged, when we're disappointed, we need to remember <clears throat> that God is in control. Now, this is sometimes a hard thing for me to admit because I'm a person who loves to be in control. I love to be in the driver's seat. I love to be the one who's in control of things, but I'm constantly reminded over and over and over again that I'm not in control of anything that goes on around me. That our sense of thinking we have control is really just a lie. It's a delusion that we give ourselves because just like that, our lives can entirely change. You get a health diagnosis your life changes. Someone who's close to you passes away. Your life changes. You get let go of your job. Your life changes. You have some type of natural disaster or flood hit your house and your life can change. And we're very quickly brought to the reality that we are not in control of what happens around us. This past week, um, both my wife and my son got sick this past week. And as I took care of them, I was thinking, I wish that I could just take it away from them. I wish that I could just make everything better, but I'm not. I can't because I'm not in control. I'm not in control of what's happening, but God is. In the midst of the moments when we don't feel like we're in control, that we're discouraged and we're let down, God says, I am in control. So rely on me. Trust in me. Psalm chapter 56 says it like this. It says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? A verse that many of you guys might be familiar with, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Oftentimes, we want to try to do things by our understanding, by our thinking. But God says, trust in Him. He's the one who's in control. So as we serve Him and as we face discouragement and disappointment and hardships and aches and pains, we need to remember that God is in control. And what has God called each one of us to do? Be strong and to work. And then God gives us one more reason why we can be encouraged in the midst of discouragement, and that's that God holds the future. I'm going to read again, starting in verse 7. I already read some of these verses, but I'm going to end in verse 9, which I haven't read yet. In verse 7, he says, And I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. What does God do for the Israelites in the midst of their discouragement and disappointment? He points them forward. He says, I want you to think about the future. He says, I'm going I'm to shake the nations. I'm going to bring the treasures in. And then he makes this crazy statement in verse 9. He says, the glory of the latter house will be better than the glory of the former house. You guys are spending your, all your time looking back into the past, comparing where you are now with the past. I don't want you to compare it with the past. I want you to look to the future. Because there's going to be a future that's far better than the past. There's going to be a future that's far better than Solomon's temple. How can there be a, a future that's better than Solomon's temple? 
Well, it happens in two ways. First of all, this temple that they are building is going to be the temple that Jesus walks into. It's going to be the, the temple that Jesus cleanses from the sinners who are trying to sell things. It's the temple that Jesus resides in. But then after that, and that, this temple is going to get destroyed in about 70 A.D., but the Bible tells us that there's going to be a future temple. Ezekiel tells us about it. You can read about it in Ezekiel. And this, this future temple is going to come at the end of time. It's where Jesus Christ is going to reign for all of eternity. And that future temple is going to be so much more glorious than Solomon's temple or this temple that they're rebuilding that it's going to put them all to shame. Because it says the treasures of nations will come in at that time to this future temple. And God will reign glorious in that temple. And that's what God holds in front of these people who are discouraged. He says, I know you're discouraged right now. I know you're disappointed in how the temple looks. But guess what? There's a future coming. And that future is what pulls you forward. He points to the future. And you know, he points to the future with us as well. When we're going through all the different things that we go through in life, God pulls us towards the future. He says, think about the future. What's our future like? We get to be with Christ forever, for all of eternity. Have you ever thought about the question of why does the Bible spend so much time talking about the future? We have the entire book of Revelation and many other passages throughout the Bible, and they spend a lot of time talking about the book of Revelation, and ultimately... None of that is like necessary for how we can serve the Lord today. Like none of that is an instruction manual on how to serve the Lord today. But why does the Bible spend so much time talking about it? And I think the answer is because God wants us to know what's going to happen. God wants us to see what the future holds for us so that when we go through life today, we have something to look forward to in the future. We've read the end of the book. God wins. We've read the end of the world. And God wins. So no matter what we go through, we know that God wins. That he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That he holds the future in his hand. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it gives this description of the rapture of the church. The, what's going to happen in the future where God takes the church up to himself. And then at the end of that section, as it talks about Every, the rapture and our future and what's going to happen, it ends with this one phrase in verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. It says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Why do we get words about the future? To encourage each other. To encourage each other for what we go through in the present. Now, I can't tell you God's short-term plan for your life. I can't tell you what God's going to do tomorrow or next week or next month or even next year. But I can tell you God's long-term plan. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that long-term plan is an eternal glory forever and ever with the Lord. And this is what Paul says about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Think about what Paul is talking about. Paul is someone who went through so much uh, difficulties in his life. So many beatings and whippings and jail time and all of that. And this is what he says. He says, this all a light momentary affliction that's preparing him for an eternal glory that's ahead of him. 
So when we go through difficult times, when we go through discouragement, we got to be looking towards the future. We can't look towards the past. We can't look in the present. We have to look towards the future. We have to look towards what God has before us. We need to trust our future with him, and we need to do what he's called us to do today, which is to be strong and to work. And that's really the big takeaway for all, for all, in all of this message is we go through difficult times, as we go through discouraging times, as we go through disappointing times, as we go through all the different things that we do, God says, guys, be strong and keep serving. Be strong and keep working. Last week we had this message of are we putting God first? Are we serving him? Are we looking to build his house? And this week's message is in the midst of the discouraging moments, are we still doing that? Are we still building God's house? Are we still serving him? God will encourage us as we remember that he's with us, as we remember that he's in control, as we remember that he holds the future He's got that planned out for us. You know, throughout the entire Bible, there's a lot of people who serve the Lord and face hard times. People like Joseph. People like Moses, like David, Daniel, Peter, John, Paul, and ultimately Jesus himself. They serve the Lord no matter what they go through, the hard times that they do. And they do it because they've got a God who's with them who's in control, who holds the future. And that's what we can do as well. Are we serving the Lord? I'll end with a verse, and this is Jesus' words to his disciples. One of the last real things he says to them before he goes to the cross. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says to you, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world there will be tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, we're going to have hard times. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have tribulations. But Jesus has overcome it. So let's trust in him. Let's keep serving him today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we praise you that you're the one who's with us. We praise you that no matter what we go through, the good times, the bad times, that you never leave us. That you stand there with us. And we thank you that in the midst of all of that, that you're in control. You're in control of what happens in our lives when things don't feel like they're in control, when things feel like they're spiraling out of control. You still have control. Lord, we thank you that you have the future. Lord, no matter what we go through in the present, you hold the future in your hands. You are the beginning and the end. Lord, I pray that that would be an encouragement to us in the present, Lord. As we go through the, diff- the different things that we go through, the good times, the bad times, we pray that we would focus on you. That we would be encouraged in the midst of the disappointments and the hard times and the discouragement. Pray that we would look to you and to you alone. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Our God, who is the waymaker. He's the miracle worker. He is the promise keeper, and he is the light in the darkness. He's the one who is with us, who's in control, and who holds our future. Let's sing about that. Please stand.
stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. I don't know where each one of you is this morning. Maybe this morning things are going great and life is just going grand. And if that's the case, I'd encourage you to look around you and see who around you you can encourage this morning. But maybe this morning you're in a rough spot. Maybe this morning you need encouragement. Maybe this morning you're going through stuff and you really need someone to talk with you, to pray with you. We'll have people up front who would love to encourage you this morning, to talk with you to pray with you, to remind you of the things that we just talked about. God is with us, that God is in control, that he holds the future. And Lord, as we go out today, as we go into our week, Lord, we pray that you would lift us up in the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of our hard times, in the midst of our disappointments. I pray that we would look to you, that we wouldn't look to ourselves, that we wouldn't look to the world around us, and all of those things, we're only going to find more disappointment. But Lord, in you and you alone, we have hope. And I pray that we would look to that hope this morning. I pray these things in your name. Amen.